Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the Faction Podcast. How are you, Kyle? Um, good, thanks. How are you? Doing well. This weekend was a busy weekend, I think. We had the showcase challenges this weekend. So today we're going to have a chat about that. We're going to talk about two and a bit formats, I would say, that we prepped for. So I guess we'll start with Pioneer. So we talked a little bit last week about Pioneer and some of the decks we were trying and some of the things we were hopeful for and wanted to try out in the format after, obviously, the format was completely shaken up by bands. I think we came to the fact that we agreed that we thought Five Color New Mizzet would be the best deck because all the combo decks that used to punish it had been banned and it's kind of the biggest endgame right now. Yeah, no, I agree with that. We also thought that uh, Saltai would improve a little bit for a similar reason, but then the New Mizzet deck's just a bigger version of the Saltai deck, so, so we thought Saltai was going to struggle there. Yeah, it really is. They both play Uro, except that one deck has a 5-mana 6-6 six, six that draws 4 or 5 cards, so it tends to go over the top. So Saltai is the first deck we had on our list of decks that can't beat Niv. We also, having worked out that we thought 5 color Niv Mizzet would be all over the challenge, we set about trying to find decks that we thought could beat it. What did we come up with, Kyle? So we thought that Phoenix, for some reason, might have a good chance against Niv Mizzet. I think that was based off, there was an old uh, Czech Magic House guide to 5 color Niv Mizzet from earlier this year, and it had Phoenix as one of the tough matchups. Would you say that's still the case, Kyle? Depends how well you can draw. I alluded to this briefly last week. But if you don't have very many Phoenixes in the top 20 cards of your library, your game plan doesn't work very well, and you just can't trip a bunch and then lose. Yeah, I think you won the games where you had three Phoenixes in your top 20, 25, and lost the ones where you had one in your top 40. Yeah, so I think that accurately describes the deck. One thing that you pointed out about Phoenix compared to some other decks that have namesake cards is that you can't really mulligan towards Phoenix. Um, in some cases you can because you have, like, is it Charm that will discard it? But things like uh, strategic planning, where you would want to mill it, uh, you can't, can't just expect that to happen. Um, especially because you need more than one Phoenix for it to be good, rather than some of the other decks that we'll get onto a bit later, like Winota, for example, where you only need one Winota for your game plan to happen. Yeah, so that is a bit similar to another deck I've been playing recently, which is Dredge, or Dredgeless Dredge and Pioneer. It's the same thing of you want to draw multiple, in this case, prized amalgams, but you don't actually want to draw them, and you don't want them in your opening hand. Whereas, as you say, Winota, for example, you just always want a Winota or an Eldritch Evolution in your opening hand, and that's good. Having the phoenixes in your opening hand or having the amalgams in your opening hand isn't necessarily that great. Mm. So in the testing, I'd have to keep a lot of speculative hands that were, were capable hands. They like looked good, and then I'd miss phoenix for twenty cards, and then I would regret keeping them. Yeah, you keep a lot of hands that are like three lands and four cantrips, and you just hope that there are phoenixes near the top because you can't really mulligan four cantrips. But no, yeah, or you keep one phoenix and. A discard spell and hope that you'd draw some more because your 1-3-2 phoenix isn't going to get there. Absolutely. One of the other decks that I was initially hopeful would be good against Niv Mizzet was Sram. We talked about this deck a bit last week and I was hopeful. We didn't actually test this deck but Zach Allen was pretty low on it. 
or rather he was high on the deck but said that Niv-Mizzet and I believe Saltai were rough matchups, at which point I decided to not test the deck. Yeah, it's rough when the deck that you like um, has bad matchups against two of what's perceived to be decks that are going to be on the rise. So. Yeah. The other deck which we both briefly tested was Abzan Rally or Abzan Aristocrats, the deck that uh, Ross Miriam won a challenge with a month ago or so. Hmm. However, we basically just found it to be a bit underpowered, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that was my impression as well. Um, at least the reason that I initially wanted to test it was that you have um, some game-winning cards that New Visit tr- traditionally doesn't play counter spells to deal with. Um, instead, they try and have sweepers to deal with uh, your board presence, which is uh, having all your creatures be in the graveyard and then recurring them with either Rally or uh, Return to the Ranks was playing into your game plan. But yeah, it just ended up play a lot of one ones that don't do a lot. The other thing with that deck, and is a common thing with the Dredge deck, a common thing I came up with, was that Pioneer Graveyard Hate is actually quite strong. We have a lot of really good Graveyard Hate. I suppose that's a good segue actually into Dredge. So I've been playing, I played a couple leagues of, I'm calling it Dredge. Obviously it doesn't have any actual Dredge cards in it, but this is the uh, Haunted Dead and... But this is a deck with self-mills with... What's that card called? Stitches Well. But this is a deck built around Stitches Supplier and Seda Wayfinder to fill your graveyard and then recur Uro or the new Ghoul that comes back if you've gained three life and prize the Malgram and Haunted Dead. Yeah. The problem with this list is that it's quite good at putting its creatures into play. It's quite good at getting Ghoul into play. It's quite good at getting Prize the Malgram into play. But there are a certain number of decks in the format now that just don't care about that. And then post-board, everyone gets good graveyard hate. So sometimes you don't even win the game once. Have you have you seen much of this deck, Kyle? Um, I haven't seen too much of it, no. Maybe that's a testament to it not being amazing. But it at least sounds okay. So what you said that if your opponents don't really care about you putting a bunch of 3-3s three into play, then dredge isn't amazing. Uh, but what decks do care about having to face down a board of 3-3s? Three what are you wanting to play against as dredge? So I think the idea is that you want to play against any aggressive deck. Basically any deck where Stitches Supplier is good, or I'm also playing Merfolk Secret Keeper, those are the decks you want to play against. Anytime you get to block with Stitches Supplier, that's a good time. So deck, noted dredge specialist, so deck said on his Twitter that he thought it beat Niv and also Salta, and that was why he played it in the Showcase Challenge this weekend to a 3-3 record, so not amazing, but I tend to trust his judgment when it comes to graveyard decks. I'm not totally sure on that. I think it depends a lot on the Salto build. I lost two main deck scavenging ooze into Ishkana earlier today, which felt very bad, but is perhaps not stock. Hmm. I think to draw a similar comparison to modern dredge, for instance, you would probably be reasonably happy to be paired up against a mid-range deck like Saltime. That's probably true, yeah, because modern dredge, of course, has the same thing of it tends to be able to grind out a lot of the fair decks and is kind of rubbish against most of the fast aggro decks because it has no interaction, just like this Pioneer version. Hmm. So I think that's an interesting call for this weekend. So Spirits is another deck which, unfortunately, neither of us thought of before the Showcase Challenge, but 
but it looks like might have some ability to beat Niv. And in fact, there were three spirit decks in the top eight of the showcase challenge, two traditional blue-white and one Simic Spirits, which is a bit different. What do we think of these decks, Kyle? Um, the Simic one, as mentioned, is an interesting take on it. There's, the the Spirits list themselves are much more heavily blue than they are white, but the white cards are very good. You get Spellqueller and Imperial Eagle. Also, and Selfless Spirit, which waxes and wanes a bit in how good it is, but obviously at the moment, if Niv Mizzet is the deck playing all the sweepers, it's quite good. That's interesting, because I've seen a decent number of Niv Mizzet lists playing Hour of Devastation as their sweeper, which of course makes Selfless Spirit worthless. I knew Nassif came second in the challenge without Hour of Devastation in his main deck, and he said that was one of the changes he would make going forward. And I believe both of the two trophy leaders in Pioneer are currently playing Hour of Devastation in their main deck. Yeah, yeah, they've both been posting their lists to Twitter, which is helpful. And obviously have a lot of uh, published lists from trophies and prelims. Absolutely. One spirits list in particular that I've been impressed with uh, is by Traft on Magic Online, uh, or Traft underscore MTG on Twitter. They're currently 4912 overall with their blue-white spirits list, and it differs from most of the other lists in that it plays Watcher of the Seer's main. And they believe this has quite a good Nymizet matchup, and they've kind of backed that up by finishing second in the first challenge this weekend, and then following up with a top eight in the showcase challenge on Sunday. Anytime I think you can get two top eights in challenges over the weekends, you're onto something. And Watcher of the Seer's is definitely an interesting card. I've played against it, and it just gives the Spirits deck so much velocity, is my experience. Yeah. The last couple decks I think we should probably touch on, the first would be the deck that actually won the Showcase Challenge, and that's Mono Green. You've played this before, what do you think of this, Kyle? Yeah, so I've played a reasonable amount of Mono Green. I tested it a lot earlier in the year, um, and only a brief amount in these last, last week for the uh, Showcase Challenge. Um, I thought it was reasonable. I didn't think it had quite as good of matchup against niv as it potentially has ended up being. I thought you were still a little bit weak to the, the sweepers. Maybe my sideboard, which targets weren't quite as tuned as they could have been. Um, but as I said, the, the winning list by Doomwake, he went undefeated in the, the challenge. Uh, not sure how many of those were against niv but... Clearly at some point they would have played against it, especially in the finals against Nassif. Absolutely. And it really was one of the three or four main decks, I'd say, that were successful in the Showcase Challenge. The top mm. 32 had five Mono Green, five Niv, five Spirits, and then also four Mono Black. What do we think of that deck? So Mono Black used to prey upon a little bit on the combo decks because it had Thoughtseize. Thoughtseize being one of the very good cards in Pioneer. Um, which I guess makes sense why it's mono black as a deck is still reasonable now, even though it's lost some good matchups. Uh, Thoughtseize, Fatal Push, and Mutual are just all very good cards, and to be able to fit them all into the deck without making really any concessions is pretty good. If mono green does rise up a little bit for uh, being against Niv it, I think mono black probably improves there. I know I was struggling a lot as mono green against mono black. Um, because they can Fatal Push your turn 1 Elves, which are very important, and then they can follow it up with a Slot Seize to take your payoff, leaving you with a lot of Burning Tree Emissaries and Wolf Willow Havens that don't do much for you. 
In my experience as well, I think one of the big draws of Mono Black is how consistent it is. It's full of cheap interaction and cheap threats, and it does the same thing every game. And because its spells are so cheap, it also makes really good use of Castle Lockthwain as well, because it's so easy to empty your hand and then just use your mana to refill it. Hmm, yeah. There's a lot of good cards in the deck that doesn't have to make too many concessions to get to fit well. They all just work together to make uh, an aggressive deck that has a lot of a lot of longevity into the late game, so that it's even its mid-range matchups aren't terrible. Absolutely. And then the last deck, there are three Winota decks in the top 32. You didn't really like this deck last week. Has anything changed with that? No. So I think I sound the Winota decks a little bit clunky. Um, like you're an aggressive deck that really wants to curve out to four to be able to hit Winota. Obviously there's some very good draws uh, where you hit the Winota and you have Rabble Masters in play. Um, but there's still a lot of tuning to be done with Winota. I know people are experimenting with different creatures, trying to make those early Winota draws better by playing Goblin Instigator over Voice of Resurgence, for instance, whereas Voice of Resurgence is better when it dies and you obviously get a backup creature to still trigger Winota rather than just two immediately. So maybe the small sample size that I had with testing Winota and maybe not having all the best card choices made my experience with it a bit worse than what it actually is. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely just a lot of different things you can be doing with Winota. So. For sure. Now, in the end, neither of us actually played the Pioneer Showcase Challenge this weekend, having both, I think, decided that we couldn't find a deck we were happy with and that had a good matchup against Niv, and so we both elected to play the Legacy Showcase. Spoiler alert, it did not go well for us. Neither of us have really played a ton of Legacy recently, so I played Blue-Green Omnitel. Kyle, what did you play? I played Hogak. So what was your thinking behind Hogak? So in the, the limited bit of Legacy that I've played before, uh, I was playing Hogak. And that was on the basis that I do have limited Legacy experience. So being able to play a, a somewhat combo deck, but not an overly intricate one, was appealing. And also in my previous testing before playing it this weekend, Hogak is fairly well positioned against any fair blue deck, like any Delva, Force of Will, Oko type deck, which my brief look at results indicated that they were the, the top couple of decks. And especially before this weekend, I'd only lost one or two, or probably, probably a couple more than that I suppose, but very few matches against fair blue decks with Hogak. Either you combo them out, or you just have bridges in your graveyard and make a lot of 2-2 zombies and they can't do much about it. But being a not very intricate combo deck, and especially not having force of wills of your own, or any other especially good interaction, there is Cabal Therapy, but it's not amazing in the combo mirrors, does make it that you are fairly unfavoured in anything that isn't a fair blue deck. So essentially, I hope to get paired against fair blue decks every round. Which I, the last time that I played the deck, which was in a, a Legacy Challenge, I managed to do, and finished fairly well, but not this time. Yep, that was sort of similar to my logic for playing Omnitel. I agree with you, they thought Delver, especially Rug Delver, would be the biggest deck. My experience of Omnitel, especially Blue-Green with Ice Fang Quaddle and Veil of Summer, is that it's reasonable against the Blue Control decks or the Blue Fair decks. Unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. I think for me personally, the biggest thing I took away from this was just that not having 
a huge amount of recent experience in Legacy was my biggest downfall. I think probably more so than my deck selection. Mm, yeah, I agree. Um, it was a tough call between playing a deck that I wasn't happy with with Pioneer or just trying to get very lucky in Legacy. Still not sure which one was correct, but... Judging by the fact that Mono Green won the Pioneer Showcase Challenge, possibly you should have played that, but... Possibly, yeah. So if I had played the Pioneer Challenge, I would have played Mono Green, but... As I said, I didn't think its new matchup was as good as it seems to be. Yeah, that's an interesting one to monitor. The last format we were going to talk about today is Mod. This is the format I've been playing a lot. I've played a lot of prelims last week, I played the Showcase Challenge this week and and I went 6-3 and three, so I finished 31st just snuck in on tiebreakers which was nice and I also scrubbed out of a last chance qualifier this morning losing to Tangram who happily went on to get the 5-0 which is always nice after he beat me in the first round and for, for context about the, the showcase challenge um, that was over 300 people right? it was, it was just over 300 yeah so slightly larger than the typical challenges, making the, yes. the top 32 finish a little bit better. Yes, yes. It, it, I believe it was the largest of the ones I saw. I didn't actually see the numbers for the vintage or limited ones. Actually, I think limited was probably larger. But I know Pioneer was 220 Legacy. Legacy, we got 211, which is significant because 213 is the point where you move from 8 to 9 rounds. Not that either of us played round 8 anyway. We both went one two drop. Yeah, didn't didn't go very well. But the two hundred and twelfth player to register who dropped just before the round started, they had the right idea. Yeah, yeah, yes, it was it was fluctuating there, and it got to two twelve with about a second to go before we started, and then someone dropped. Clearly adverse to having a nine round tournament as well. I mean, that is absolutely fair enough. Again, not that it really mattered, given we didn't get there, but the modern one felt very long. I think two of my losses came in the last three rounds, and looking back on it, I almost certainly didn't play superbly well, given that both of these challenges, both the Legacy and the Modern Challenge, started at 1am. Yeah, the, the midnight tournaments are again a struggle for us. They are, although then again, the Modern one was won by an Australian, correct? It was. So perhaps we don't really have an excuse. No, not really. Never mind. Yeah, so as I said, I ended up 6-3, and three. I played Trusty Old Goblins, I am, I was very happy to see that there were in fact two Goblins decks in the top 32, although they are very different. One of them is the much more combo focused, including the Grumgully combo, Persist combo with a Sacrifice Outlet, which I've also played a fair bit of. I do think the grindier version is better right now. I think let's start then with a bit of an overview of modern and where modern is right now. I think it's looking pretty good, would you say, Kyle? Yeah, so I haven't actually played very much modern, so I probably don't have the, the best insight as to how well the metagame is shaped up at the moment. I think it currently looks like modern often looks in that it's very diverse, so the top eight Quickly running through, I suppose, the popular or successful decks from the weekend. The Showcase Top 8 had two Rakdos Prowess, a Burn, a Team of Reclamation, a Dredge, a Boggles, a Bant Control deck, which is 
the sort of Field of the Dead ramp deck now, and one Ad Nauseam. There's a couple sort of fringe decks there, a bunch of one-offs as you'd expect, and then the top 32, six Burn decks, five Izzet Prowess decks, three Eldrazi Tron, two Rakdos Prowess, which was the two top eight decks, two Goblins decks, and then just a ton of one-offs. Yeah, so I, I guess the one-offs is an aspect of it being modern, everyone having their pet deck that they've tuned for a very long time. Absolutely, there's like an Eldrazi in Taxes deck here, which I've played more than I'd like to admit of, and it's not a very strong deck. Yeah. Um, but even the the winning Team Reclamation list from Laverage, who won the challenge... Won a PTQ, I believe, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, PTQ, sorry, yeah, not a challenge. Even better. Or the Super PTQ, actually. Yeah. So, whichever weekend that was, I suppose that might have been a few weekends ago now. I just remember this because they beat, they beat Zach Allen in the semi-finals, which I watched because Zach Allen was playing Goblins, of course. Yeah. So yeah, even the winning lists can be a one-off, which I guess is what Modern is known for. I mean, most of the top eight is one-offs. Apart from the Burn deck, the two Prowess decks, the other five are all one-offs. Yeah. The two things that stand out to me here is that there's only one Gruul deck, Gruul Ponza, in the top 32. There's also only three Eldrazi Tron. There was a big Mana Traders event either last weekend or the week before, and it was dominated by Eldrazi Tron and Ponza. They were the two most popular decks. Unsurprisingly, that head-to-head matchup is very lopsided. The Blood Moon deck is very good against the Eldrazi deck, the Tron deck. Mm, yeah. But we don't really see much rule here, which is interesting to me. However, in general, I think, it's very fair. This whole... All of modern right now is very fair. Yeah. Um, I guess the, the Burn decks... And prowess decks have managed to pick up that half a turn that they were missing before so that they can try and race the otherwise combo decks. Yeah, I think also a lot of the combo decks has sort of been neutered over the last year with things like the Mox Opal banning, Faithless Looting banning. So that the combo decks that are left, apart from Ad Nauseam, which I think just has a hard limit on the power level of the deck, it can be well positioned, and in fact this is a pretty good weekend for it, as we can tell by the person who made top eight. It's pretty good against Burn and Prowess. But in general, most of the combo decks now are creature combo decks. Things like, I mean, Goblins is kind of an example, but I also am thinking things like Devoted Druid. And those decks are really, really bad against a bunch of Lightning Bolts and Lava Darts. I also think Boggles is a good meta choice, given that there were six Burn decks and then eight Prowess decks in the top 32 across three different color combinations. So I think a Huge lifelinking hexproof creature is a good way to go, which that pilot was rewarded with a top eight. Yeah, so that's something in common between the, the Buggles and Ad Nauseam lists where they can be very good one weekend, and potentially next weekend they might not be very good. We'll have to see how people react to this many Burn and Prowess decks around. It's interesting, because I think Eldrazi Tron is fairly good against... Prowess is one of the decks that stands out to me because, largely because Chalice of the Void against Prowess is very good. Although I will say that I think it's a lot worse against Blue Red Prowess than the old Mono Red Prowess decks because almost half or up to half of their threats don't cost one mana in Stormwing Entity and now Sprite Dragon as well. So they sort of have some ability to fight through Chalice. 
Also, Chalice, as I discovered this weekend when I lost to Burn twice, is not very good against Burn. Because actually, most of their best spells cost 2 mana. A lot of their Lightning Bolts actually cost 3 mana in Rift Bolt and Skewer the Critics. So I'm not quite sure what will pop back up. Possibly Heliod Combo will come back. Although that deck is atrocious to play online. Because Infinite Life is not game winning on Magic Online. No, it's definitely something that's held it back from being a, an online presence as opposed to how much we see it or how much we saw it in the, the paper scene. For sure. The other deck that interests me that isn't really here is Amulet Titan. There was definitely some of it in the tournament because I played it against it twice. And traditionally Amulet Titan has been good against Burn because your mana base doesn't hurt you at all and you have the ability to gain a fair amount of life with Radiant Fountain and just bouncing it and replaying it repeatedly and then a reasonably fast kill. I wonder if perhaps, as you said, Burn has gained a half turn and it's sort of flipped that matchup a little bit. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I've only ever played a little bit of Amulet. Um, never at a, a big tournament, just in testing. And uh, in the few matchups that I did get against Burn, it did seem reasonable. But yeah, it certainly seems that something's happened to put Burn and prowess a little bit ahead of what were normally bad matchups for the deck. Speaking of bad matchups, one of the decks that is actually a very good matchup for Burn and finds Burn to be a bad matchup is the Goblins deck I played. So I think we might go into that in a little bit of detail. I linked the deck list last week, and I'll link it again this week. But I think we might do a little bit more of a deep dive into it now that I've put extra week into the deck and have a little bit more experience with it and I would definitely recommend it as a deck going forward with the caveat that perhaps something needs to be done to fix the burn or prowess matchup. So I guess a good place to start is has anything changed from your list from last week? No is the answer. I believe... No is the answer. Alright, nice and clear. (laughs) I think maybe I was playing two damping spheres on the sideboard and now they're blood moons. I don't remember exactly when they changed. But broadly, no. The core of the deck is the same. It's still the four Snoops and the two Boggart Harbingers and the two Kikis as the combo, and then the sort of grindy core of the deck, which is the Goblin Matrons and the Goblin Ringleaders and the Slingang Lieutenants, which really sums up, I suppose, the two aspects of this deck and the two different ways it can play, which is something that really appeals to me. Some games you're able to threaten a really early combo with a turn two snoop. And sometimes that works. I've definitely won my fair share of games on turn three, especially against uninteractive decks like Amulet Titan, for example. But you also win a lot of games by threatening that turn two or that turn three rather combo. And then your opponent has to respect it and you eventually just overwhelm them with Matron searching for Ringleader and so on. This also happens in sideboarding. I've played against a lot of opponents, especially, I suppose, decks that don't have access to great interaction, things like Humans or, as I said, Amulet or Eldrazi Tron, and they'll have to sideboard in a lot of dismembers to respect the fact that you have a creature-based combo, and they just end up losing to Ringleader and Matron and just never-ending streams of goblins. One of the cards that I find really interesting in this deck is Goblin Chieftain, actually. 
because it sort of stands out as this aggressive card in a deck that is part combo and part grindy value. But what it really does is it lets you pressure so well with all the random 1-1s from Mogwar Marshal or Goblin Matron or Munitions Expert, and it turns them all into a real threat. It's also somewhat of a combo with Sling Gang Lieutenant, and I've won a fair amount of games by just curving Goblin Chieftain into Sling Gang Lieutenant. So one card that you talked about for being grindy is Goblin Matron and being able to get useful cards in particular situations, uh, but you don't actually have too many different uh, silver bullets, I suppose. Uh, so you have the two tire fire as removal and a Goblin Crater Maker that can double as removal. Um, but otherwise you're mostly just playing cards that generate value or are part of the combo. So do you think that, is, is there much incentive for uh, these specialty targets, perhaps? I think the problem with a lot of the more niche targets is that they're just too narrow. This is something... So as a disclaimer, I've only been playing pretty much this stock list for a week and a bit now. As I said, this was initially Zach Allen's build of the deck, but I have previously played the more heavily combo-focused versions before Snoop came out, and those decks tended to play a lot more one-offs. The problem with them is that, as I said, they're just too specific, and when you draw them in the wrong matchup, it's too bad. And you, Goblins is already something of a low-power tribe, by modern standards at least, or your individual cards are not that powerful. And so I think this version of the deck is just more streamlined and more able to do its thing repeatedly. That said, there are still a few broad categories that the tutor targets come into. So the couple that you mentioned there were combo cards, so mostly Snoop and Harbinger, or value cards, which is pretty much just Ringleader. I've tutored for just about every goblin in this deck, I think, at some point. Tarfire, as you said, is great early removal and is a nice sort of tempo play. Crater Maker is primarily there for Eldrazitron. About a week ago, Eldrazitron was a lot more popular, and the ability to just blow up basically anything from their deck is very useful. It's also just a fine turn to play for curve reasons. You need a reasonable curve to make Aethervile good, so you just have to play some two drops. Mogwar Marshal is probably the one that gets tutored for the least, because it's really just a speed bump for aggressive decks. Obviously, Munitions Expert is fantastic removal as well and slightly bigger, and being able to hit Planeswalkers really matters. Chieftain is primarily used to put pressure on people, as I said. This is really good off a Vile, especially. Scenarios where you get to end of turn, Vile in, a Matron, go get Chieftain, untap, play something else plus the Chieftain, really lets you put a lot of pressure on out of nowhere. Right. So how does um, how does the utility of Matron extend to your sideboard choices? It doesn't really. Uh, there's, there's two Warren Weddings in there, which you do sometimes get with Matron. More commonly, you hit them with a Ringleader, which is really nice. The other card is Goblin Trashmaster, which as a Lord effect is nice, but mostly is there for artifact destruction, obviously. So it's very good against Stoneblade decks, for example. It's also pretty good against other Aethervile decks. 
where throwing away a token to blow up an Aether Vial or a Sword or a Batter Skull can often be game-winning. So you think that even when post-sideboard you can have something like Goblin Trashmaster or equivalent cards that you know will be good for certain rather than cards that are potentially in your main deck that would not be particularly good? You think they're still not worthwhile? Yeah, I think modern is so broad and varied that if you want any of those sort of more niche bullets, they should be in your sideboard. But even then, right now modern is predominantly fair decks. And so you don't really need specific haymaker bullets, I suppose, to beat a lot of the fair decks. Things like Eldrazi Toron or Gruul, you're mostly just trying to overwhelm them on the board with ringleaders. As we said, modern's not currently super combo-y either, but even if it was, part of the issue is that Goblin Matron is a bit slow. You can't cast it before turn 3 in this deck, so you can't usually cast whatever you're tutoring for until turn 4, and a lot of the combo decks just beat you before then. For example, even if there was a Damping Sphere Goblin, it would be fine, but not actually amazing, because something like Storm isn't going to give you to turn 4, and this is why you also play... And this is another sort of reason why we play Hand Disruption, is that Thoughtseize is just very generically powerful disruption for specifically the fast combo decks that would otherwise just be too quick for goblins. It's also why the combo is so good in in this deck, because against other decks that would just be too fast, something like Amulet Titan and is difficult to disrupt, you have that out of just being faster. So as a, a segue from the sideboard matron targets, uh, one of the important sideboard cards that you have is four Relica Progenitus. How do you get to that? So the list started with three, and I've since moved up to four. Basically, I think Relic is very good right now against a whole variety of decks. Obviously, it's really good against the all-in graveyard decks like Dredge, but also there's a lot of Uro in modern right now, and Relic is probably the best card against Uro, because just activating it every turn makes it really hard to put an Uro in play. And then obviously if you need to, you can always exile the entire graveyard. It also draws a card, which is really nice for your graveyard hate. And the one-drop slot is not that full in Goblins anyway. So it's not like something like Prowess, where you sort of tend to value the Tormod script because it's free. Overall, though, I think between Uro and also Mystic Sanctuary, there's just a lot of graveyard cards right now. And Relic is fairly low cost because it draws a card. And overall, I just think it's a fantastic four of them sideboard right now. So I suppose Blood Moon and Boil are fairly obvious when you would be wanting to bring them in. Um, but why do you think you want those extra hate cards in those matchups? So the Boils are mostly for Mystic Sanctuary decks, although I will also bring them in against decks with Dryad of the Elysian Grove, just to really punish that Prismatic Omen effect. I think in those matchups, it's mostly about having extra threats and just making your deck as threat-dense as possible. There's also an extra ringleader there, and the idea is to just keep threatening and keep pressuring the control deck and not give them enough time or breathing room, really, to pull ahead. The Blood Moons used to be Damping Spheres, and they have a similar function. They're primarily there to punish big mana decks. 
Obviously, the upside of Damning Sphere is that it's cheaper and it punishes Storm decks. Storm decks are basically non-existent right now, apart from, obviously, Caleb Shearer, but aside from Caleb, virtually non-existent right now. And my experience is 2 mana versus 3 mana mostly matters against Green Tron, which is not that popular right now. I think there was only one of them in the top 32 of the showcase this weekend. Eldrazi Tron is much more popular, and that deck is much worse at assembling turn 3 Tron. So needing to be able to play your hate piece on turn 2 on the draw isn't as important. The trade-off for that is that Blood Moon is a more powerful effect, firstly, especially against Eldrazi Tron, because it has the ability to just lock them out of some of their spells rather than just slow them down. And the most important thing is that it's much better against the Valakut decks, which is a thing I had struggled with before, is that once those decks assemble Valakut, you don't really have a way to interact with it outside of Blood Moon. In theory, Blood Moon is potentially good against this sort of Field of the Dead, Mystic Sanctuary ramp decks that started popping up. Although my experience with them is that they tend to be able to fetch around it, so it's very hit or miss. I suppose this leaves what is probably the most interesting card in your sideboard, um, which is Chalice of the Void. Yes. You briefly touched on it before. Um, how are you feeling about it after playing with it for two weeks? It wins some games against Prowess. Although it's not as good against Prowess as it would have been before Stormwing Entity was printed. So it definitely wins some games against Prowess. The matchup still doesn't feel good, although it is the best card I've found for the matchup. More worryingly, it's not very good against Burn, which seems to have picked up this week, as we said, with 6 in the top 32. So I'm not convinced it's enough anymore. I'm just not sure what else to try at this point. I do think that if you want to play goblins, and I think you should, I think it's a good deck, the number one thing you should be looking for is a way to flip the prowess and burn matchups. I don't know exactly what it is, but those are the two matchups that worry me the most. Um, just another point on Charles is that I know in some of the games that you've told me about, uh, being on the play of the draw has been a major factor in how good chalice is to begin with absolutely against prowess if you're on the draw and they've already played two one drop creatures by the time you put a chalice down you are often quite dead especially because you have to cut one mana interaction usually to play chalices for example there's no fatal pushes in the sideboard because you can't really play them with chalice which means that you often won't have answered their first one drop and then they play a second one and then you chalice and they can sort of just start throwing spells into the chalice because all of their spells still effectively deal 2 damage. Not to mention they're bringing in a braid anyway for your Aether Vials. Yeah, a braid was the last card that I was going to bring up, that it interacts with both the combo and... Well, it interacts with your combo, rather, and the your Aether Vials being one of one of your more powerful spells. It's a little unfortunate that Chalice and Vile overlap in what hate cards your opponent is going to be bringing in if they have the braids. Absolutely. To touch on briefly, Aedivile and Chalice seem like they are non-bows. They're not really, and the reason for that is that Vile would be bad if you drew it after Chalice, but if you draw a late Vile, it's probably pretty bad anyway, and a turn one Vile just makes your entire deck so much better. So it's I think it's worth the trade-off. So with this current sideboard configuration, other than trying to improve the burn and... 
uh, prowess matchups. Do you feel like there are any other holes that you really wanted to fill? Not particularly. I'd say, obviously, there are always going to be fringe decks that worry you. That's just kind of how modern works. For example, I think Boggles would be very good against Goblins. But Goblins covers a lot of those weaknesses with Thoughtseize, firstly, and also the ability to have a turn 3 combo. You can win a lot of bad matchups just by having Thoughtseize into Snoop, into Harbinger. So I think that sort of covers a lot of matchups that are perhaps not amazing, but they're so rare that it's not worth it. I think against most of the main decks, though, I feel pretty good. Yeah, yeah like we pointed out before, there being so many one-off decks in the top 32, can't reasonably be prepared for everything. But yeah, having the, the proactive game plan of trying to combo them out and then the generic thought sees interaction seems like, on the average, you'd be reasonably well positioned, it seems. Definitely backed up by your results as well over the last two weeks where you've been crushing it pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of just the key rule of modern at this point is you need to have some amount of proactivity. Even the sort of control decks now have Uro and Field of the Dead. We're not trying to play sort of traditional blue-white control where we just bury someone with a Planeswalker forever. There's still a proactive element because you really can't be prepared for everything, as you said. With that, I think we might move on to our last sort of small topic that we might touch on briefly, and that is Future Standard. What have you seen of this, Carl? Yeah, so with the showcase events having happened this weekend, unfortunately not qualifying, there's not a whole lot happening with Constructed for the next month. There are some limited PTQs and mocks open events, um, but really, the the next step in Constructed, at least for me, apart from playing these formats out of interest, is looking at what standard's going to be after rotation. And Wizards have decided to somewhat assist with that, in that in two or three days' time, um, there'll be an additional ranking format on Arena, which is essentially future standard. I think it's named something else, but that's how I think of it in my head, which will be the cards from... Throne of Eldraine forwards? Yeah, it would be Throne forwards. So it'll be Throne, Theros, Ikoria, and the Corset. Yeah, so it's not perfect future standard, because we'll still be missing uh, Zendikar Rising, which comes out mid to late September. Mm-hmm. But it'll definitely be interesting to see how that format goes. Uh, unfortunately, the, the ranked is only best of one, so we won't get the sideboard games, which is very important. But to see what will happen when we lose all the shock lands, especially, will be interesting. I'm hopeful that Zendikai Rising replaces those with something that supports coming into play untapped on the first two turns. I really don't want to be playing temples every turn of the game once standard rotates. I would 100% agree. So, just as a note, Zendikai Rising is scheduled to release on the 25th of September, so right at the end of September, really. Although I think the the arena release might be a bit earlier because of pre-release. Probably. I imagine that's the Friday of paper release and we'll probably get arena usually... It's usually like the weekend before or something? Because it'll be like the streamer event on the Wednesday and then it'll come out the Friday before or something? Yeah, somewhere around then. Either way, it's a month and a bit away. 
I think you're right that it's interesting to see what will happen. I agree with you, though, that I think the mana bases are so important and losing Shocklands and not getting their replacements makes future standard a bit weird to me. Mm. I also am very concerned about Uro dominating the format. <laughs> yeah, Uro is going to be in an interesting place. And Zendikar um, is known for having land matters, uh, particularly with landfall. So we interesting what we can do with that in Uru. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about the potential for landfall. Uh, there are confirmed to be two returning mechanics, both of which have appeared in a Zendikar set before, which, put it this way, I don't think they're bringing back the Void, so... No, I don't think so. And I don't, don't think they're... Oh, hang on. Did ally become a keyword? After not being a keyword? It's... Or did it go well, the reverse direction, where it was a keyword and then didn't become a keyword? Well, it's not a keyword, it's a type, and then it had a reminder text ability, or an ability keyword is the technical term for it, because they're all templated as when an ally enters the battlefield, which is not actually a keyword. But it is a mechanic, so it might be back, I guess, but also I don't know why you would need allies now that the Eldrazi are gone, because it is confirmed that there will be no Eldrazi. So that should be interesting. Either way, looking forward to that set. But as you say, there's a bit of a lull from now. You, I suppose, need to do Mythic Ladder for Arena. I do. I also have to earn a lot of cards because I don't have much <laughs> on Arena. Um, I'm very thankful that we've had accounts provided to us um, for each of the, the regional online PT and the PT finals. I would have been in a bit of strife without it. But now you're back with the rest of us playing PTQs and trying to grind ladder to qualify for the qualifier weekend and try and get back on the circuit. Mm. The qualifier weekend being future standard, hence the, the interest in it. Is that I don't know, has that been confirmed yet? I thought so, but maybe it hasn't. Okay, all I've seen is that it's in September and you qualify via June, July, August ranked ladders, and it's in September. But I think we worked out it would be very weird to put it before release, because you'd have to put it in preview season of with old standard. That would be very weird. So I think we are assuming that it'll be basically the last week of September, and it'll be, or maybe it'll be release weekend, which would be interesting, given the way you have to acquire cards on Arena. Or maybe I'm incorrect and it's not standard, and it would be... A sealed event or something. It'll be historic. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> well, it's on arena, so if it's not standard, it has to be historic. Uh, I suppose it's possible. If it's not obvious by me not having standard cards, I definitely don't have historic cards on arena. Oh, neither do I. I owned Nexus, and I own basically I own Team of Reclamation because it was the same as the standard deck almost. It's not that I'm against historic. Um, it's that I have. Things like Pioneer and Modern to fill that same space, or same creative space, rather than a format where I don't have access to any cards. Which is very reasonable. Either way, if that Qualify Weekend is very soon after release, maybe you'll join me in doing the same thing I did for the Lotus Box Invitational, which is that I drafted a rare playset of every card in M21 in four days, four or five days I think I did. I did 20 drafts, 
which is about how much it takes to collect the entire set. Yeah, with aggressive bro drafting, I it seems like that might be my future. Mm. Anyway, I think that's about all we had for this week. Unless you had anything else to add? No, I don't think so. So, if they want to find you on the internet, Kyle, where can they find you? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at Kyle Gibson, uh, Gibson without the vowels, so K-Y-L-E-G-B-S-N. Or sometimes I stream on Twitch at ninja double underscore Kyle, um, which is my Magic Online username and Arena username, but with an extra underscore in it. So you can see, you can see some of my monogreen results from the last few days. Sounds like you might soon be a limited stream. <laughs> might be streaming a lot of limited, yeah. Um, not sure on the hours, but it'll likely happen soon. I still have half of corset to collect. Um, I'm not sure if the corset queues are actively firing with everyone playing Dominaria at the moment. So we might have a few more days off before we get into it. The question is, when will you become a Fall Guys streamer? Fall Guys streamer. Maybe soon. See. <laughs> if I put off collecting the set too long, it'll be the same thing that happened with Ikoria where I got halfway through and then it rotated out and so now I just have half a set of Aquaria without the ability to get the other half yet. Uh, so maybe four guys after yep, Core 21. Right, after that, okay. Uh, and if you want to follow me, you can find me on Twitter at AlabasterWolfie. You can also follow the podcast at FactionMTGPod. Thanks for listening. Until next week. See ya. See ya.